Well, welcome, welcome back from the desk of low. I have with me a legend on the phone, and he's a very humbled soul, even through his music, you can tell, because he takes, he puts a lot of thought into each project. My most favorite project by him is Disposable Arts, so if you already know who put that out, I have Master Ace on the phone. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you today, Ace? I'm okay. I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in a good space. Thank you. Uh, that's very good to hear. Do you in a good space? Sir. Um, you do a lot. Any meditating today? No, I don't really meditate. That's not something I've ever tried or attempted. No, because <laughs> I know you're very um, you're very big on eating right too and health too. I was curious where you can share where that came from, sir. Because health is wealth, as they say. Yeah, definitely. Um, it honestly, it was born from my diagnosis of MS. That happened back in 2000 when I was uh, in my 30s, and since that time, since that diagnosis, I've kind of been on a journey to try to do things differently. I, I convinced myself that the reason that I had this disease was because of some of the things that I had been eating over the course of my life, and so I just started to gradually make changes. Um, very specific changes in my diet and um you know it's led me to where i am today which is you know a fairly healthy fairly healthy individual who just happens to have a mess do you have any favorite vegan meals ace i have a few man i i i eat vegan meals probably three to four times out of the week okay um and then and then i'm mixing a fish dish here and there um but uh Fish is probably going to be off my off my menu pretty soon. Um, but uh, my wife makes this incredible. Uh, I guess it's a stew or a soup. It depends on how you how you view it. But it's made with lentil, quinoa, and kale, and coconut milk. And she cooks it down like a. It could be somewhere between a stew and a soup because you can. I mean, I guess you have to eat it with a spoon, but um, it's it's incredible. That's 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 one of the meals. I say, make um, me hungry. Yeah, I love. Man, you should taste this stuff. It's incredible. <laughs> I'm definitely going to write that down after this. I mean, that sounds delicious. Yeah, man. Um, you said LL, Rakim, Slick Rick are a few of your influences, but you said you get influenced every day when you hear somebody spit a dope verse. I'm, I'm curious on some of the rappers that you are listening to today, Ace. There's a few, man. Um... I mean, aside from the obvious, you know, Kendrick J. Cole's. Yeah. Um, I happen, I happen to be a big fan of um, of J. Rock's album. I mean, it's, it's actually not new anymore, but Redemption. I'm one of these people that yeah, I'm one of these people that kind of takes my time catching on to stuff. I like to wait until the hype is worn off before I before I venture into a project because sometimes the hype can kind of skew your you know, your, your, your opinion. So yeah, I was just, I was careful not to, I'm careful not to, uh, get too listen to stuff when everybody else is going crazy about it. I usually wait. Yeah, so, but, uh, so you can I'm, take I'm, it I'm, in. I'm definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely a J-Rock fan. Sigh High to Prince. Oh, no dope um, on Sundays. Jordan Lucas. There's a few people that I'm, that I think really tear it down and that I, that I like to listen to. Give me that energy to, to write a dope round. 
Yeah, that's not a bad list to get inspired from, too. And they're keeping the essence alive, too. Definitely. It's, 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 I mean, there's some people from, from my peer group that, that that feel like that none of the new new cats can rap, and, and that's just not the case. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's some dudes that can spit. Um, for the people who don't know, just in case, because y'all should know Master Ace if you're listening to this podcast, you grew up in Brownsville, Ace? Yes, I did. Can you... Howard uh, Houses Projects. Can you um explain uh, every day, just every day in your childhood through Brownsville um, for the people who never been there back in the day as opposed to now, sir? Because I, I, I'm pretty sure Brownsville changed a lot. It's changed some. Um, it still has some of the negative things going on that were going on back in the day, and that's unfortunate. You know, you, you, you kind of would hope that some of that stuff might have subsided, but it still goes on, and there's still violence, and still drug selling, and all of that happening, but when I was a kid, um, this is way, way before the crack era, um, and we just, just we used to just have a, like, our summers were like the most fun summers, uh, especially the summer nights, we had these different games that we would play, as, a, as, a, as an entire neighborhood, we played games like Manhunt, and um, just, just a crazy list of different games that we that we played when we were younger, and there was a swimming pool um, right in the back of my building. Um, it was like the you know kids from all, all over the neighborhood could come swim in the pool, but because it was right behind my building, it felt like it was our pool, and so yeah, because it's right you behind know, your house anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, we were in there during the summer. We were definitely in there five, six hours in the in, you know on a, on a, on a, on a weekday, and then around. Uh, Around dusk was when we would all leave the pool, go take a shower, put on some fresh clothes, and right around that time, the dinner time, supper time was when you would hear the music come on in the, in the park, um, which was down in the basketball court, because the DJs in our in our um, projects would would come out and set up turntables, mixer, big giant bass bottom speakers, and you knew that it was a party going on in the park and we would run down there to hear to hear them, this music that was being played and this is the 70s so a lot of the music wasn't hip hop wasn't being played but it was more disco yeah but but there were dudes rapping you know to this music and so hip hop was definitely in its infancy uh, at this time period and I was just like it was just amazing just to be a part of it from the very beginning you know, I, I think about that all the time. Like, wow, I was like there when it really, really was happening, was and that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, because um, when I interviewed OC, I asked him about the park jams too, and we both came to the agreement that that's a time that can never be replicated in a time of hip hop too, because it's like what you said. There was dudes rapping, but it was mostly disco, and you really got to see it from the start. Yes, from the very beginning, and you know, disco. Disco got a bad rap, you know, from people. But the 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 foundation of of, of hip hop in terms of the songs that we were rapping to is disco. Disco has doesn't get enough credit for its um, contribution to the culture. Can you remember any disco that you were listening to back then, Ace? Oh yeah, Donna Summer. Um, obviously, she good times because that was like the the quintessential beat to spit over. Uh, Bounce Rock Skate by Vaughn Mason. 
Um, man, um, the uh, what is the soul? It's an orchestra. I can't okay. think of it. Soul, soul something orchestra. Um, <laughs> but Donna Summer was definitely big. I'm definitely leaving out a bunch. Um, Trans Europe Express. Okay. Um, Elvin Champagne King. Um, man, it's a lot of joints, man. It's a lot of joints. I'm not that hip on disco, but I heard of Evelyn Champagne though. Man, she she was she was dope, man. Um, so I understand that um, you and Smokey used to walk to school together too during um when you were going to school. Um, can you remember the first time you met Smokey around that time? You know, it's funny. When you when you're friends with somebody for your whole life, you don't remember meeting them. Usually, you don't remember the day you met them. Yeah, because that bond is you so close. Yeah, yeah, it's like they they were. Just, it seems like in your mind they were always there. You just don't know. You can't pinpoint that day. But Smokey was a, a neighbor. He lived on the eleventh floor. I lived on the seventh floor. Him and his brother would come downstairs um, and uh, sometimes have breakfast because my grandmother always had a hot breakfast going in the morning. And, and and I don't think, like, their mom at the time, I think she was having some struggles with drugs and stuff like that. So I don't know if they were getting those hot breakfast opportunities like that. And so they would come down and, you know, Smokey was kind of known in the neighborhood as a bad kid. Um, although I didn't see him that way. I mean, I knew what his reputation was. But he never but showed he, it around just, you. Nah, he never, I mean, because he loved my grandmother and she looked out for him and his brother quite a bit um, and his mom. And so, you know, they would, he would never let that happen to me. And as much as he was feared by a lot of people in the neighborhood, he was just smoky to me. Like, he like he was just... Regular old smoky to you. Yeah, yeah. He was my, my boy. But Laughing, joking, things like that. He definitely had a, a, a sinister side to him. And, you know, I've seen that sinister side in action a few times against other people, but not, yeah. you know, anything directed at me. Um, but one of the things that I respected about Smokey is that and I never got to tell him this. He passed away, but um, his brother passed away before he did. Uh, he actually came to the funeral of his brother, Larry. And that was my first time seeing Smokey since he was incarcerated for murder when he was probably either late teens or early 20s. Oh, wow. He was incarcerated for like 15 years. And so I literally had not seen him since we were kids. And then I see him at this funeral. And, and, you know, I don't know if you know about, but if, you know, he, he was brought in by, by, by federal marshals or whatever. So he couldn't even, um, he couldn't come in contact with anybody that was, uh, at the funeral. Like his family members, they wanted to hug him and embrace him. Yeah. But the, uh, but the police officers that were there were like, nah, you can't touch him. And, and, and I, you know, you understand why that is because somebody could pass him anything weapon or something and they, they you know they're fearing for their safety but you know they made a very specific threat that if if it happened again because i think one of his aunts came over to hug him and 
He's like, if it happened again, this visit's going to be over, you know, immediately, and he won't be able to stay for the funeral. So they were crying, and they wanted to hug him. And But he, he saw me. He said, what's up to me? Um, but like I said, I had to keep my distance. Yeah. And uh, I, I was hoping that, that the day would come that I'd get to sit down with him, maybe a cup of coffee or something, and just say, yo, man, I don't know if you realize the impact that you had on me. Because... There was a day I tell this story. I told the story to my my EMC crew one day, but um, and it was an emotional story. But there was a day when we went to the same junior high school, um, and I was a I was a good student. I mean, I was doing my thing in the classroom, and everybody in the neighborhood kind of knew I was a good student. He knew that. He respected that. He liked that. That you know, he liked good. And, you know, do your work. But um, Smokey didn't go to school. He he walked to school. But he never went in the building. He would stay outside the outside the school. And every day I would, um, I would walk to school with him. We would sit outside the school, like on this little park, this little park benches, right by the school. And then when the bell rang, I would go in, and I wouldn't see him again till, you know, the next day probably. And so, um, one day, I just decided on my own that when the bell rang, I wanted to stay outside. And See what was going on. Just see, be part of the action. I was curious to know what was happening when I was when I was in school studying and you know getting my lessons. What was really going on out here, outside the school? What was I missing? And so the bell rang and I stayed outside and I and I was out there and I was out there for about you know five ten minutes. He, I think he was like talking to a girl or something, so he didn't notice right away. And um, while I'm while I'm while I'm there with, with a bunch of a bunch of other dudes out there. And um, I guess these are the, the hooky, the dudes who never go to school, who just hang out. And so he's talking to this girl, and one of the guys pulls out a pistol, like a like a probably like a Saturday night special, like some little some little gun. But you know, back then, a, even a little gun was a big deal. Oh yeah. And so and so they're showing the gun to each other and passing it around, just like regular stuff. And Smokey looks up and sees me sitting there, and he he's like, yo. What the fuck you doing down here, yo? You just nah, nah. You gotta go to school. This ain't you. This ain't you. Don't, don't. Like he's like, hell no. Get out of here. Go, go to, go in the, go to school. And he kind of chased me off. That was the only time he was ever kind of aggressive to me. And he's just looking out for you, trying to be with the with with the knuckleheads. And uh, that was the only time that I ever attempted that. And I think back now and I wonder. Had he, had he responded to me being out there differently, how my life may have turned out different. Yeah. If 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 he welcomed me into the fold of these these knuckleheads, then I could have I, I might I might have started to skip school every day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And whatever they were doing, I think they were probably going around robbing people, beating people up, whatever they were doing during those school hours. I could have easily been pulled right into that stuff because I didn't have. You know, I had my grandmother. My mom was um, at the time. I think she was living in Atlanta, trying to trying to start a new life for us in Atlanta. So it was just my grandmother who who worked all day. My uncles were running around doing whatever they were doing. So I was a latchkey kid. I had my own key. I would come and go. Um, you know, it's the seventh grade, and I was literally like doing my own thing. So there was a huge a huge void of of, of parental, you know. Uh, um, responsibility that was kind of left to myself and to my own devices and I could have easily gone down the wrong path 
but but for some reason, Smokey, he wanted me to be different. He wanted me to be. He he, he saw he saw something more in me, maybe than I even saw in myself. And he told me, "Take your ass to school." And he was a little older than me, like two years older than me. Um, but he was like I left back a bunch of times, so he was in the same grade. But he was you know definitely definitely older than me. Yeah. And he sent me he sent me off to school and. I never, I never, I never went back down that down that road. But it just, I thought about it, you know, kind of recently. I think, and, and, and it's a profound moment that I remember it. That that kind of tells you how much of an impact it had on me. That I that I remember such a detailed story like that. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, because um, that's how I found out about Smokey's. You shared that story on the Combat Jack uh, podcast. Okay. And I found that um, I, that I found that very emotional um, when I found out he died because, oh. because um, man, like he definitely saw like the potential that you had to do something great with your life. Like some of your music, like the fight song, you know, that gets me some of the most like stress. I was listening to that today on the way home. Like, um, yeah. but he, but he definitely saw saw something great in you. That it's like what you said. You didn't even see it yourself at the time. I wish I could have uh, had that opportunity to say thanks. But you know he's with you in spirit, Ace. So you know oh, that no. you know that he's with, guiding you through all this greatness that you're putting out too. Like even because you could have stopped after disposable arts. I understand that the reason you put so much thought into that project because you you honestly thought that was going to be your last project. Yeah, I really did, and, and and that was kind of the, the 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 plan, if you will. Like I knew, I just I accepted the fact that this was going to be it. I was okay with that, and it was like, okay, if this is going to be it, I want to go out on my own terms. I want to go out with this note. I want to, I want to, I, I just want to do a project where it was all me. It was no influence by anybody outside. It was it was my every thought, my every idea. Every line, every chorus, every feature was going to be from me, not anything suggested by a label person or anything like that. And so my partners, to their credit, Filthy Rich and DJ Rob, um, who were kind of like A&R in the project, you could say. And um, when I started to work on the skits and things like that, and they, 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 you know, my partner Rich in particular was like, a little skeptical, like he wasn't sure what I was trying to do, and he didn't really get it. And then when I when I when I said the title of the album, he didn't get it. Um, but now he's like, "Yo, it was it was it was brilliant. It was genius what you did." Because yeah, uh, he understands it, he gets it now. Yeah, because a lot of people when they see the title, they say they they're like disposable arts, but they don't know the meaning. A lot of people don't know the meaning behind that title because you were recording a project before that one, and the label turned it down. And then when you put disposable arts, it's just like how the label can just throw away all the thought and process you put into that album. That's why how we got disposable arts. Exactly, all that all that work, and it was just so quick to go. Nah, we're not putting it out. Do you still listen to that album that that they shelved? Because I understand Alphabet nah. Soup was meant for that unreleased record. If if I got my facts straight, Ace. Um, yes, Alphabet Soup uh, was gonna be on there. Not that beat, but a different beat. But okay, same rhyme. Um, it was a couple other probably joints. I'm trying to think. But, uh, but you don't listen to that unreleased album. 
Nah, I have the song. I don't listen to that stuff, though. I mean, it's, it's not even in a full album form. It's, it's literally just rough mixes of a bunch of different songs. And oh, okay. It really worked out. It really worked out the way it was supposed to because a lot of that stuff, a lot of that music was label influenced and, and influenced by uh, people being in my ear telling me I need to do songs like this and songs like that and, you know, Bad Boy isn't on the radio and, and they're killing it with these disco records with singing and choruses and all this kind of stuff and I was being pushed in that direction against my better judgment but here I am trying to keep my keep my deal so... I'm trying to create. I'm trying to create songs that make the label feel like they have something that they can market. But you know, a lot of that music I wasn't really proud of. It was. It it, it, it it turned out good. It was good music, but it just wasn't who I was. It was me trying to trying to uh, I guess acclimate to the you know what was happening in the music game at that time, and 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 that was a bad decision. Yeah. But I'm glad we you always stay true to yourself too, because you went on to release like <laughs> timeless albums, like The Fallen Season, even a Brooklyn story. Yeah, thanks, man. I definitely after Disposable, it kind of it kind of renewed my confidence in my vision and what I believed was good, and I didn't I didn't worry about that anymore. I felt like I had a good grasp. Of what I of what was good, and what I wanted to do, and so I just followed my my heart and my gut, and let the ships fall where they may. Um, documentary on that album. Um, did you ever release that on DVD, Ace, or is that just um something we can just find on YouTube too? And is that documentary really ten years after the project? It was a little past ten years, but um, yes, it's on DVD. Um, it came as part of a special, um, box, I guess box set, uh, of Disposable Arts. The, 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 re, the reissue came out in 2000 and, let's see, 2000, not 12, because that's, that was when Son of Yvonne came out. It was right around there, though, um, the reissue. And so we... It was a if you if you bought the reissue, you also got the DVD documentary with it. So it's on YouTube, but you can also get it um, that way as well. Um, I always go looking for um, CD DVD combos um, from the early two thousands because I love. That's when um, I was first discovering hip hop because I was born in ninety one. So when I'm getting a CD of something I can watch with it too, like that will always live near and dear to my heart. So every weekend. Um, this past week, and I found Raz's Raz Castle on Ice original copy. But I, but I was really I was looking for disposable arts to be honest. Well, you mean on CD, right? Yeah, but we don't have like um, official CD stores here in Canada. We have Sunrise Records, but they have like all the new stuff. They don't have any of like the classic stuff from the early two thousands or even the nineties. Well, I sell disposable arts on CD at all my shows. And I, I understand, too, that you, you might be touring in Canada sometime soon, so I may have to come by, swing down the show, and see you live one day. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're definitely going to do that. Marco's from Canada, obviously, and we've already talked about trying to put that together. So it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. Have you uh, toured Canada before? Oh, yes. Many times. Uh, I did it in uh, 2000 and. 
2012. I did it like three years or four years in a row. Oh wow! I want to say it was. I want to say it was 2010, 2011, 2012. Well, it could have been 2011, 2012, 2013. And these are like uh, coast to coast, Toronto to Vancouver, and everything in between. Yeah, and I understand. 20 dates. I understand too that you went to every continent but uh, Asia. Yeah, unfortunately not yet, but I feel like this year might be the year. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because Malco, too, is Asia a lot, doesn't he? He's been there a few times. He, he He's definitely been there. I'm the one who hasn't hasn't been yet. Okay. So he's like, yo, he's like, yo, we got to make that happen. I'm um, like, let's do it. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I'm curious, when, when you go traveling for two or two, um, do you go sightseeing or do you like just to stay in the room and get inspired too? Because every artist is different when they go on tour. I definitely try to go out and see and see the city. I don't know if sightseeing is necessarily the right. To, I've done some sightseeing before, but what we usually do is just want to experience the city as a, as, as a tourist, as, as a, meaning like walk the downtown area where the shopping area is, find a cool restaurant or two, find some little shops that have cool stuff. Just walk around and just take pictures and absorb the, the whatever the particular city is. Not necessarily. I mean, we we have done some sightseeing stuff where you go see a particular landmark or yeah. some special you know place, or some church or something that is historic. I'm I'm not as into that as I am just taking in the city, the vibe and essence of the particular city. Yeah, because it's different when you're walking through the city blocks as opposed to going to in a historical site because you can feel the energy. Exactly. Um, a lot of people come up to you and starstruck too. He's like, "Wow, you master ace, and you're really just like you're a humbled soul." And that's that's very rare to find nowadays. It's 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 quite rare that somebody recognizes me. Really? On the street. If I saw you, I'd probably be starstruck. I won't lie on that. I mean, if you, I mean, uh, I, I think a lot of people just don't recognize me. They don't expect me to be there, and so they don't they don't think that that's me. I don't know what it is. I, Maybe I, maybe my looks change, you know, depending on whatever. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is, but it seems to me that people don't exactly know that it's me when they see me. And um, do you think that's also a good thing, too, because you can also have your privacy, too? Yeah, I like it. I like it that way. I wouldn't have it the other way. I don't, you know, I, I wonder how artists like Eminem or Jay-Z, like how... They're so famous. Like, how do they function? How do they? How do they live life, being so under under a microscope with their lives? Yeah. Um, I would never want that. To me, that's that's kind of a curse in a way. Because you can't do regular uh, things. Crazy, to, to me, it's a little bit of a curse. Yeah, I, I can see that too. Because sometimes you just want to. Just go sit by your local coffee shop and have like a nice cup of coffee while enjoying, like just enjoying it, or maybe a nice book. And if right, without without somebody taking pictures of you, <laughs> or asking you for an autograph. Yeah. Um. So I like it. I, I like the anonymity. Um. I meet people. They don't. They, you know. They have no idea who I am, and that's cool. Um. Like the gym I go to, nobody, nobody. I mean, like a couple people figured it out after a little bit, but generally speaking. Nobody knows uh, who I am, and I like it that way. 
and you still get acknowledged too because what was the feeling like when you heard Eminem shout you out on his newest album Kamikaze and he said bring Master Ace back I was like yes please yeah, I mean that was a very cool shout out um, I didn't go I haven't gone anywhere I'm still here <laughs> you still putting but, out dope uh, beats uh, still dope albums Marshall don't worry yeah I'm still doing it um, but I know what he meant I know what he meant like bring back the notoriety bring back the you know the awareness of what I'm doing and uh, no, that's definitely appreciated somebody an artist like him um, I'm sure I picked up a few curious fans um, who didn't know who I was before he said that line, who went and seek and, and uh, seek me out and, and discovered my music and are now loyal listeners. And um, that's also a very good thing, too, when an artist of that caliber can shout you out because it gives the people who really love this culture a chance to go back. It's like, wow, like he was a part of the Juice crew, and then he went off into his own thing with Master Ace Incorporated, and yet still had a solo career throughout all of these years, because most people would quit after some of the things that you've been through, Ace. Yeah, well, I was definitely, I was definitely there mentally a few times. Um, I definitely was there a few times. And I'm curious, what brought you... Like, what takes you out of that space, too? Is it just self-care? Like, you take a day to do whatever you want, something that Ace enjoys? Well, what took me out of it was two things. The first thing was, in 2000, I did a tour through Europe. Um, this was Predisposable Arts. And I did a 13-city tour through England and parts of Germany. And I had no idea that there were... That there was going to be people at these clubs that, that not only were excited that I was there, but do, but knew the music and were singing along to the songs. And that gave me a renewed energy. Um, and it, it convinced me, it convinced me that there were still people out there who cared and, and wanted to hear from me because I, I, I thought that no, no one cared anymore. That was the first thing. The other thing was traveling to Philadelphia um, in 99, 99, I think, uh, to work um, with Jazzy Jeff's production uh, team, Touch of Jazz. Um, I went out there to, to help uh, write some music uh, for Will Smith. And, um, you know, I recorded a, a bunch of records with these brilliant producers who I had just met, but I just thought it was just awesome to the fact that you had three or four different uh, rooms, like like studio rooms, and in each room there were producers uh, working on music, and they would just kind of go room to room and listen to each other's music. What are you working on? Oh, that's dope. Yo, I got a bass line to fit that. It was just like this creative exchange that I just thought was super cool. And... um so seeing that, the fact that it could be like that, that definitely had a big effect on me too. Oh yeah, I can, I definitely too. When you see that type of energy and all of the people putting work towards just one piece of art, that that definitely would be motivating. Yeah. Uh, football is still your favorite game, Ace? 
Yeah, it's not. That's never gonna change. <laughs> yeah. What's your team? I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Oh, okay. Uh, Which a lot of people are surprised by, but that's where I am. Hey, there's nothing wrong of. Hey, it's Ace's world, so you have the opinion to like what you have the right to like what you own, like too. Um, have you ever been to an Eagles game? Oh, quite a few, quite a few playoff games and everything. I actually went to a, I actually went to an NFC Championship game the year that they, uh, lost to Tampa Bay in Philly for the NFC Championship game. Uh-huh. Tampa Bay, of course, went on to win the Super Bowl, but that I was at that game that they lost. That crowd must have. So I've had, I've, yeah, I've, I've had. I've definitely had a couple of game, historic games that I've been to in Eagle history, so um, it's cool. Do you still have memories from the first time you went overseas in 1989 open, opening up for EPMD and Public Enemy? Oh, definitely. I have, I have very strong memories of that time because because it was my first time, and so I was like kind of soaking in all of it. And um, it was it was the first time that I discovered that people on the other side of the ocean actually knew the words to my songs. It was it was pretty mind boggling at the time. Oh yeah, I bet too. That's and plus that's nineteen eighty nine too. So this is before the internet. Yes, definitely. So and and do you think this is a question too? Um, that I ask a lot of artists too who travel overseas, breaking the language barrier. Um, do you think that's a that's a very rare thing to do? That that little artists can do is break the language barrier. Well, it's not really it's not really the artist's responsibility. We just do what we do, and what happens is, you know, the educational systems in a lot of these countries is far superior to the United States, and these kids they. They, when they graduate from high school, they, they, they know two to three languages like like that they can speak and communicate in. And um, so really the work is done for you because these kids go into it already speaking English and understanding every word that you're saying. And um, that definitely helps me as an artist because I know I don't have to work as hard to try to, you know, change my my slang or water something down. They yeah. know what I'm talking about. And that makes that, that's made it easy, much easier. Yeah. Cause when you're yourself, it's, it's all about authenticness and people gravitate towards that. Exactly. Um, when people ask about your high school years, Ace, do you just straight up tell them you made an album about it? No, it's not the first thing that comes to mind. No, <laughs> You know, that album was really more for the people that could relate to that story of traveling that great distance from your home to a neighborhood that may necessarily not be as friendly just so you can get an education. And I think a lot of a lot of that is lost by the young people who, you know, it's like open borders now. It's all good. You can just go wherever you want to go, it's melt, everything's a melting pot, everybody gets along, but back then, it was... It was different. It was, it, was a little, it was a little different, man, and it was a little dangerous at times for, you know, kids of color to travel to that part of Brooklyn to go to school, and the, um, the residents of those neighborhoods, they made it very clear 
that it was that it was dangerous and you know you got your warning and as long as you didn't act up that everything would, could be cool but they were definitely letting us know on a normal basis that if you get out of line it could go down and like and that's the thing too like um in today's day and age too do you think that it will ever go back to something like that or everything is more calm now too because people are more acceptive now but there's still some places in the world where people ain't acceptive though and I still don't get that because we're all human at the end of the day no you're right and I don't know the answer to your question but based on the climate of the United States right now it's not impossible that it could go back to that when you have people marching in the street carrying you know swastika flags and all this type of stuff yeah who knows Any, anything's possible but what what made what what made me really gave hope for humanity is uh seeing the people in LA just like show so much love and unite towards Nipsey. That's what gave me hope for humanity. Yeah, definitely. That was that was a beautiful moment, and you just hope that that moment isn't just just, just it, a fad, just that, just a moment. Huh. You're hoping that it's a real movement of people. Keep it true. Ideas, feelings, you know, changing their normal uh, pattern of behavior to something bigger and better and greater. And so, you know, a lot of times when people are hurting, they they feel one way, and then when that hurt wears off a little bit, they kind of go back to their original way of thinking and being. I'm I'm curious on how you deal on a with a bad day, Ace, because everyone has their bad days. I'm I'm wondering how. How Master Ace deals with a bad day. I mean, I don't even know what a bad day is, really. To me, man, waking up in the morning, being able to stand up, walk around, you know, have use of my legs, my arms, my vision. Um, those are all the things that... And if all those things are, are rocking, there's nothing that, that makes me feel like it's a bad day. Like, I, I can... I can literally get through anything if if, if 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 I have those things working for me I'm not complaining about anything. I can't complain about anything else you're very very humbled so I inspired to be like that one day um you read a lot of books Ace? not as much as I should and want to I I, I, I used to be an avid reader and then at some point um, at some point I stopped and I've always regretted that because I used to love to read and I used to read a lot of books. I have, I have right next to my bed right now, I've got like five books that like I'm planning to read. I have, you know, aspirations to go back to my old self because every time I do pick up a book and read it, like man, that was good. I enjoyed that. Like, where's the next one? But we just, yeah. we just live in this society. We're we're in this society now where you know your phone is your phone is almost like a television. Like yeah, and it keeps it, it holds so much of your attention. And um, so I, I just got to work on finding that time to just curl up with a book. I tell I'm definitely going to take one or two of them. 
with me on tour because we have a lot of hours in the van. Oh, yeah. Uh, driving from city to city, six hours, seven hour drives. And, you know, between uh, reading and um, my phone and my, being on my laptop, I should be able to get something done. Um, favorite books that you read in the past? I guess the most recent book that I read was um, the Malcolm Gladwell, um, David and Goliath book, which actually kind of enlightened me on some things, you know, as in regard to, to, to my daughter, who's 14 now and about to go to high school. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, her potentially going to, you know, a big university like Princeton and, you know, going there to shine. But that book definitely gave me another way to look at things. Hmm. Another way to look at things because um, sometimes, sometimes it's better to be a, uh, a big fish in a small pond than the other way around. So many people are fighting and scraping and scrounging to try to just be at that elite school thinking that you know, that's all they need to, to um, identify themselves with. But sometimes that's not everybody's path. Yeah, because it's kind of the same way how your your path was too. Because if you would have went to ATL, do you think we would ever have all this incredible music and you would be in marketing? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't. It's a great question, and I've wondered that before. But there's nothing for sure that says that I would have, uh, you know, pursued music in that way. I think I would have just been, you know, like a lot of guys that I meet at my shows. Yeah, I used to rap when I was 18, but, you know, me and my boy, we had a little group. We used to do our thing, but that was it, you know. And now i got, you know, a wife and three kids and, you know, I'm an investment banker. I'm a uh, whatever. You know, um, I think that's I think that's what I would have been because I would have never even I would have never even entered that rap contest that I entered um, because the rap contest is really what was the catalyst to me. You know, getting this opportunity to do music professionally it was winning that and then getting that studio time with Molly Mall and meeting him. And that was the that was, that's what changed my whole entire uh, trajectory of my my life. I would have been in Atlanta. There would have been no contest. I would have never met Marley Ball, and those rhymes would have never been written, and those songs would have never been recorded. Wow, it's crazy just how some of the certain situations you put yourself in can can do so much in the long run. Was that um contest contest you met Marley at United States of America? United Skates. Oh, Skates, yeah, sorry. Skate, skating rink, yeah, skating rink. Yeah, but that was the one, though? Yeah, he wasn't at the contest. He just... No, but you he won. He, he, he was the person who volunteered their studio for the winner. And then, and then, as you say, you won, and the rest is history from there. That's that's so inspiring to hear. Pretty, pretty wild. It's almost like it was meant to be. Uh, Charlie Wap was your first influences? Yeah, because he lived in my building. I 
was on the seventh floor. He was on the sixth floor. And he was the first guy in my neighborhood, anyway, that I remember that rapped. And he used to play, he used to walk around playing his tapes and uh, doing this, you know, doing this. He, he would actually rap along with his big radio, listening to his songs, you know, jamming. And um, he was dope. He was different. He was he was unique, that's for sure. When you say he, unique. when you say he was playing his tapes, um, was it other people's tapes or was it his own raps he was playing? No, it, it, it was his own raps. He was. Oh wow! He was. He, yeah, he was walking through the neighborhood with his big, big two speaker radio playing his music and and his his raps. Oh yeah, I can definitely hear that. And you'd be inspired to hear when you see like him doing it with his own music. It's like, yeah, that's you. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Who gave you the name Glasses back in the day? It was—I mean, I didn't—I didn't know I had that name. <laughs> I found that out. I found that out like recently. Oh, really? But uh, yeah. It was—it was either—it was either Kane or G Rap, but I'm not sure which one. You have to ask them one day. But they definitely had a conversation about me, and that was what they were calling me when they were referring to me because they didn't know my name. They didn't know who I was. And this when uh, we recorded the symphony, and like, damn, God, glass kind of nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, has people approached you about doing not a Juice Crew movie, um, but a Master Ace movie? Because I believe that movie would be incredible. Um, nope, not, I haven't been approached. Well, that's not true. I was approached, but it wasn't by anybody that I don't think was really that serious. They just wanted um, to make a quick buck, you would say. Yeah, like I don't, I don't, I don't think that the the vision was really there. I think they just looked at it and said this could be a cool story. But I really feel like there's a there's a there's a fictional story that's based around my truth that's going to be a lot more interesting. And I have I've started to jot down some pages for that in the, in the form of a screenplay. I'm also in the process of writing a musical for theater um, that is kind of loosely based on, you know, my real life and then the stories that I tell on Disposable Arts and Long Hot Summer, a mixture of those stories. Those characters, some of the same characters, the name, characters' names even are in the musical. Oh. So I'm working on that. I'm working on that right now. That would be like the first... That'll be that'll come out before screenplay or any of that other stuff comes out. And get a company called Rhymes Over Beats that I'm working with. Um, for screenplay too, that's very interesting too. Um, what made you want to do that kind of musical around that? Because you could have made a musical about anything. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I met I met I found out about this company. They were interested in me developing something. They didn't say what. They wanted me to write. They just said, you know, write, write what you want to write and we'll work, help you put it out. And so I immediately gravitated to that story because I feel like those skits and the storylines on those albums just lend themselves perfectly to the stage and at the same time can kind of help tell my story in a, in a, I guess a autobiographical way. 
Yeah. Because um, it's like what you said, too. Um, some of your life experiences is through the music, too. Like, Disposable Arts and The Fallen Season, too. Like, you have key elements in those albums that are a big part of your life. Yeah, definitely. Um, going to college, being, 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 that was kind of a big one because I was, I was definitely away from home. I didn't know anybody up there. I was different than everybody up there. How I dressed was different. Um, there weren't that many kids of color going there. So all of those things played a part. And so that kind of being, feeling a little bit out of place, all of that kind of helped me to develop those those characters for those albums. When um you were doing the cover for Disposable Arts, that even the cover behind that story is inspired on how the photographer was doing it, uh taking pictures that you weren't really feeling. It's like, yo, let me just go grab this chair and then the first one he did it to you, like, we don't like that and then he sent you a bunch of pictures and then you found that one with the street light too, like and then it all goes together, like how Master Race Incorporated in 1995 with all the cars on it. And in 2001, where it's just you sitting on the car seat. Like, man, like, I can't get over how much thought went into that project, too. Like, I will always cherish that album just because of that. And I will cherish it even more now because of this interview, sir. Yeah, all those things. It was, it was, it was as though those things were supposed to happen because... On my way into the photo shoot, I saw that chair right outside, sitting in a pile of garbage. That seat, I should say, that car seat. And I saw that car seat, and it struck me. And I said, hmm. But that was all I said. And then we went inside, and the photographer is setting up these different photos. And I'm just kind of standing on the plane backdrop. There's no props, nothing. And I'm like, yo, this is boring, man. I said, I'll be right back. And I went outside, and car seat off the pile of garbage and brought it back in. Sat it down in the middle of the set. Let's take a few on this. Took a few on that. And boom. There you go. And that and the rest was history on that one too, cause that's that's also an inspiring story. Um I have three more questions for you, uh, Master Ace, and then I'll let you go because I once again I very do appreciate you taking time out your busy day to do this, sir. No problem. Shoot. And I'm sorry I keep saying, sir, I'm very for him. I got to remember, keep calling you Ace. Yeah, yeah, Ace is fine, Thank you. Um, first time meeting Pharaoh Monge. Mm. One of my favorite artists, too. When you guys collab, oh my God, it's like heaven in my ears. First time meeting him? I don't know. It's so difficult to... Pinpoint? New York City is a, is, is a special place. Because... We have all of these artists. We all live in the same city. We all go to the same parties. We see each other. We know each other's music. We see each other out. We pick each other up, give each other dap. And so I'm sure I probably met him kind of in that context, but it had to be way back in the 90s when he was still in Organized Confusion. But I definitely could not pinpoint like the day we met. It definitely had to be sometime in the 90s when, when, when OK was, was cracking. Oh, wow. So you met him like early on in his career, too, when Organized Confusion was big, too. Stress was one of my most played crazy albums. Absolutely, yes. Definitely in the 90s. Okay. And it's, and it's good to see how New York City, it's like what you said, it's a very special place, but 
it's the bond that an artist can create and when they collab too it comes out even better too because um I understand you asked him for that for, to be on that song and he did like he fitted that song the way that you wanted him to and he didn't have to do that no I knew he was gonna because he's an incredible writer and he oftentimes does these things with just things with his voice inflections and changes his voice and I knew that he could easily become, you know, this this disease that I wanted him to become. I knew he could do it. I knew he was the guy to pull it off, and of course he did. He definitely did, too. And your verse, too, is incredible on that. Um, From that album, I was curious about that building. Because I know people ask you about, well, why did you spell Brooklyn that way? And I understand that, but... I was mostly curious about that building. Does that building have sentimental values to you, Ace? No, it didn't. Um, we actually, uh, we were searching through a bunch of different um, file photos of, because that, that picture's from Brooklyn in the 50s. Yeah, you could tell it's an older photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we we looked at countless pictures Um that different photographers had for sale online um, of Brooklyn in the 50s, 40s even, 60s, just different eras. And we just kept looking at different pictures and skimming through. And um, Marco actually picked that building. I picked a different building. I picked something that was a little bit more like a, like a tenement house, like a, like a not, not as high of a building, maybe like a two-story, three-story building. And so we were, he had one building, I had one building. Um, and then I just gave in. I was like, you know, let's go with yours. Um, because it was, it was taking us too long to like finish up the artwork. And so I was like, let's go with that one. And no, I'm glad we did. It was a good choice. Yeah. I, lo- I love that picture too. Cause you can tell it's an older picture from Brooklyn too, but I, I was always curious about it too, so I'm glad you shared that on the podcast, Ace. Um, this is the last question I ask all my guests too, and the reason why I ask this question is no individual can answer this question the same, and I'm very curious on Master Ace's answer to this question. Okay. Do you have any words for somebody in a dark place trying to see the light? fight song listen to the words on fight song and you know look at Pharaoh as being the dark place and then look at my verse as the, the fight for the light yeah I, I was gonna say that song that song does bring people out of a place too cause it's funny how music can just change your mood and that's what I love about music especially music like that Um, when Master Ace hears his album incomplete, what's that feeling like? You mean when I hear it and it's complete? Yeah, like particularly Larry, um, a Brooklyn yeah. story. It was um a sense of accomplishment, and this this album was different than all my other albums because I wasn't involved in the mixing process, and I'm kind of glad that I wasn't because. When you're in the mixing process and you're hearing every song 
for almost an entire day on repeat, um, it kind of starts to wear on you after a while. And by the time you get to the end, you almost don't even want to hear the songs anymore. But this album was different because I handed the mixing duties over to Marco and his guy, and he would just send me, you know, the rough mix. What do you think? Uh, turn the vocals up a little bit, and the snare could be louder. Send it back, and they send it again. Perfect. And that was kind of the process. So I never got, I didn't get overwhelmed with listening to the songs over and over and over and over again. So this is probably the first album that I could play comfortably because I wasn't there every step of the way through the um, through every you know every aspect of of, of fixing finishing it. So it's definitely a good feeling, feeling of accomplishment. I'm glad me and Mark will finally put our heads together and put out a project, and I'm glad that people are responding the way they are. Oh yeah, they've been asking for that for a while. Um, I really do appreciate you sharing that answer about somebody in Dark Place to go listen to your song because no one ever said that before about their own music on the on the show, and I'm glad that you chose that song because look at Pharaoh's verse as being dark, and look at your voice as chasing the light. I hope somebody hears right. that and takes that to and helps them with their life. Um, Master Ace, you're a very humbled soul. Um, is there anything that you like to plug in before I let you go? Appreciate it, yes. Um, the video for Fight Song will be coming soon, as will the video for Get Shot. Two new videos coming from myself and Marco Polo within the next you know, few weeks. So look out for those. And I'm working on my musical, and that'll be coming probably not till next year, but working hard to finish it and complete it. I'll definitely be putting the people onto that too when you get all those goals completed, sir. With that being said, it's another classic episode from the desk below featuring the humble legend, Master Ace. Thank you, man.